Hello and welcome to this episode of the Tax Security Podcast, focusing on all things security, technical, and Cisco. We cover things like new bugs, hot issues, and current topics affecting you, our customers, and us here in tech. As usual, we've got a panel of experts. You've got me here, your host, Magnus Mortensen, and along with me, I've got Mr. David White Jr. How are you doing today, David? I'm doing fantastic, Magnus, and we're missing Mr. Jay Johnston this Yeah, week, Jay so couldn't be with sad. us here this morning. Um, but that's okay. We've got two yep. fill-ins. Yes, we do. First is Mr. Jesse Dubois. Good morning. Happy to be here on a Friday morning. He has been on the podcast before, and so we welcome you back. Thank you. And we also have a new special guest mm-hmm. with us today. It's Mr. Aaron Leonard. Mr. Aaron Leonard, how are you doing today? Privileged and humbled to be <laughs> sitting here today. <laughs> well, we are happy to have you. For those of our listeners that don't know Mr. Leonard, Mr. Leonard has been with Attack forever, probably longer than myself even. When did you start? Uh, 96. 96, wow. yes. So he beats me by a couple years. And Aaron is a legend in the wireless space and tech, a worldwide renowned expert. Um, covering the wireless technologies, and so we are happy to have him here to talk a little bit today about wireless and also wireless security, and uh, we hope it'll be an interesting episode. Yeah. So, Aaron, is there anything else you want to say about yourself? Let the listeners know? Oh, that's good enough. Let's just go ahead and roll it. <laughs> <laughs> He's a man of mystery, I take it. That's right. So tell, tell us a little bit more about some of the areas that you covered. I mentioned wireless, but that's not really doing it justice. So... Well, specifically, we're talking Wi-Fi, the 802.11 stuff that has become amazingly ubiquitous throughout the uh, the inhabited universe. I, I like the way you, sit, you phrase that, the inhabited universe. Everywhere there's a Wi-Fi access point. I mean, it's like stop signs, man. I, I was thinking uninhabited, too. Right, but it, <laughs> <laughs> once we go there, they, well, I everywhere think we're, you go, there's wireless. That's true. I, I, I think we're really, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I think we're really around the, uh, the, the 5 to 6 billion Wi-Fi device mark right now with at least a billion new devices coming out every, every year. So it's become, an, it, it's become an interesting challenge to support this many things and, and support uh, customers whose applications are increasingly uh, reliant on the Wi-Fi network working. Yeah, I know, uh, you know, we were here when wireless started. And back in those days, you know, wireless was, well, if it works, it's great. If it doesn't work, oh, well, it's fine. You can always just plug in a cable. Well, well, (laughs) everyone had cables, right? So wireless was one of those things that, oh, I can go to a meeting and, hey, I can still get on my computer, right? But, you know, now it's just the opposite, I would say. Uh, Most companies today, they are almost exclusively wireless. Most new companies are almost exclusively wireless, and they don't know anything else, even most users, right? Even in their homes now, it's almost exclusively wireless. So wireless is critical, and there's a lot of challenges with wireless, things that people don't understand, like radio frequency reflection and all these other dynamics. So how have you seen wireless change over time to make it a little bit easier for uh, you know, our, our listeners and others to troubleshoot those really complicated problems, um, you know, to help, help them out? Well, I don't know that it's become easier per se. In fact, it's become more complicated. So it's actually, in a sense, harder to troubleshoot, which is one of the things that I like about Wi-Fi is it never actually gets easy. One of the critical things to understand about Wi-Fi is that it is intimately dependent upon the physical layer. Those of you who do uh, you know, wired networking. Generally speaking, almost all the time you depend on the physical layer to deliver 
the data at whatever six nines reliability. You know, you mm -hmm. might you might have one bit error out of uh, ten million or something. Things that, are pretty that, standard, and you pretty and much count on yeah. that. And that flat does not exist in the Wi-Fi world. Yeah, it, it's and very it never dependable, will. right? And you know what you're going to get when you send something down a wire, typically. Right, but in yeah. wireless, you're getting it, it's very ugly at the physical layer, and we have lots of layers on top of it to try to paper over the fact that the the physical layer is so grody, you know. Clients have to roam from channel to channel. APs change channels dynamically. Uh, as you say, there's all kinds of reflections, interference, load, and so forth that we try to overcome using layer two retransmissions or upper layer retransmissions. Uh, that's one of the challenges that a lot of customers face is as they move from their traditional wired network to a, a ubiquitous wireless network, mm -hmm. they, don't, they, they, they need to adapt their applications to be ready for wireless. A lot, I see a lot of customers that come along with assumptions like uh, the network will never drop out for five seconds. And if you're running a, a Wi-Fi network, you need to be, your applications need to be prepared for the eventuality that you're going to lose uh, a second or two of connectivity pretty often. Yeah. And you're going to lose five seconds maybe once every hour, and you might lose 15 seconds, and you shouldn't freak out. Yeah. Um, that's, that's one kind of adaptation that, that customers need to be prepared for, and a lot of them aren't. Yeah, I, I mean, we've seen, uh, even just in the firewall security space, you know, cases come in related to wireless, and the general thought and the general sort of case idea is, well, when we're connected to our wired link going through, you know, network X, which may or may not go through a firewall, uh, you know, we get no problems with our application, but when we go to wireless, which is on our, you know, behind our firewall, we have problems. So it's probably the firewall. Mm, not always, but you're right. There's, you know, a lot of... Um, random happenstance that can take your wireless network, you know, lose a few packets here and there. You know, you mentioned the physical layer. It's very physical layer dependent. Mm -hmm. It's the most physical, physical layer. It's so much physics is built into it. It's so know? it's so physical you can't touch it. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or see it. <laughs> or see it. It's the invisible, <laughs> invisible physical. But you know, you mentioned like reflection and everything else. And it, I think back to like college talking about you know electromagnetic interference and all this other sort of classes and that blows my mind and I can never wrap my head around it and to think that that's enterprise networking it's pretty pretty impressive you know so, so the thing to understand about Wi-Fi that it is a common uh, medium a half duplex medium really a ch the, the channel is like the old you know the old original Ethernet mm -hmm. where you could only have one transmitter at a time and and, and transmissions can and do collide uh, although worse so you have the shared medium, and what we're seeing now is the 2.4 gigahertz spectrum, the uh, 11, traditional 11B, 11G spectrum, has become increasingly clogged and mm -hmm. increasingly viable. You know, now that we have ubiquitous Wi-Fi on, on practically all devices, especially when you get into a very dense deployment, things like classrooms, uh, conferences, football stadiums, the 2.4 uh, spectrum becomes almost unmanageable. Yeah. And that's where 5 gigahertz is, is, is really important. The new 11AC, 802.11ac modulation standard requires 5 yeah. gigahertz. And we, the good news is now we see more and more and more uh, customer de consumer devices coming out with 5 gigahertz enabled. But that's one of the things I'll tell anybody who's trying to run a large-scale wireless network is for your business-critical apps, move your devices off of 2.4 gig and onto 5 every chance you can. Now, 
obviously, you know, 2.4 and 5, different frequency spectrums for wireless communication. What happens when the 5 gigahertz network or, you know, spectrum becomes as clogged as the 2.4? Do we just hop to the next? Or is there something about 5 that gives us maybe... A little more well, yeah, breathing we'll, room. Yeah, we? we we have a little bit of breathing room. Okay. I don't know, I don't know how much, but I think we have a few years. Okay. So, you know, the thing is, the two point four gig spectrum only has three non overlapping twenty megahertz channels. That's all there is. Oh. In five gig, right now, we've got something like twenty or twenty one non overlapping channels of that bandwidth. So there's a lot more elbow room. Hmm. The other thing is actually kind of nice is that five gigahertz signals don't carry as far. So that means it's it's harder to have interference from remote devices. It also means that you have to buy and deploy more five gigahertz access points, which right. is nice for Cisco. <laughs> but yeah, I guess in addition, you said it doesn't travel as far. I mean, back to kind of the physics question, you know, if I'm talking about getting signals through walls and everything else, would five or 2.4, what's more appropriate for dense architecture? Perhaps? Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's one of the trade-offs. So 2.4 absolutely penetrates much better than five gigahertz. Mm-hmm. You know, now looking looking in the crystal ball, you know, we might look at something like uh, the the TV uh, spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, so so you know, the, all the all these old legacy over-the-air television channels seem decreasingly pointful now that everybody has ubiquitous IP connectivity yeah. and really wants to get their their video content on demand or or over the net, right? So there's an awful lot of nice spectrum out there if we could we could grab hold of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the FCC is working on you know looking at um, parts of the spectrum that are unused, right, or underutilized, to reallocate them because they know that you know wireless is important and critical to and growing and, and growing, <laughs> right, and critical. But you know, there you guys mentioned a few points that I think are interesting um, to think about. So. Over time, you know, the original goal when wireless was being deployed was what's the least amount of access points we can put everywhere to get total coverage? And, and that was great for the first few years um, as, you know, people were starting to migrate and starting to use wireless. But then we hit this transition point where the access points were getting overloaded because too many people were using it. So now what we do is more densely pack APs, turn down, you know, their transmission power so that we have, uh, you know, less people per AP to increase the density, right? So that's something that you have to think about when you're deploying, you know, your wireless infrastructure is not necessarily what's the least I can do, but where will my people be? How many devices will I have? And making sure that you're allocating the device and the layout and the power transmission of those devices such that it meets your your needs and your goals. Yeah, and we've seen that, you know, quite a bit recently with... Uh, especially college campuses at football stadiums, um, hallways, you know, when all of a sudden you have students coming out of class, uh, you know, on, you know, scheduled times, they all hit the the hallways at the same time. You know, you've got to make sure that your your network can handle that and you have enough density to be able to handle that, that influx of load, even if it is just for a short amount of time. Well, yeah, I remember we had a discussion once, you know, somebody had calculated the rough average number of wireless devices that a single student today is carrying and for one person it comes up to be like three or more in some it's installations right around three right now yeah so you know you have 100 people in a classroom they all come out at the same time that's average of 300 new things that may be roaming on your network to try and pick up a, a wi-fi connection yeah, yeah. and to think about it it's not just wireless right, right. wireless is the the physical transmission layer right but 
you have you know 300 DHCP requests being asked for at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. So there's you know there's a lot of other things that are happening that you've got to plan for when deploying the wireless. But how about we pivot a little bit um, and bring this back to security? So how about we talk a little bit about wireless security, right? What we recommend, some of the challenges that we see customers facing, and some of the trade-offs with deploying security in the wireless environment. I, I was joking before the start of this podcast that I try to avoid security every chance I can because mm-hmm. it just gets in the way of connectivity. But the reality is in wireless, security is absolutely essential because without security, it is trivially easy to spy on anybody or inject your data in anybody else's stream. Or, or as some people at this table might do, you know, play with people a little bit and flip their screens upside down or the information <laughs> that they see on their screen. Why are you looking at me, David? Uh, I'm, I'm just looking off just around the room. I guess. Yeah. Right. So are, are you feeling paranoid? Uh, not so much, but okay. I'll get you. Yes. Yeah, and, and unlike a wire, right, where you have to physically tap it, radio is everywhere. So anybody that can hear that signal can if there's no security can potentially the kind right. of the kind of stuff that I have seen in airports on open APs it's yes right. mind blowing yeah and w- and without over the air security you can do things like if somebody has penetrated a PC mm-hmm. can then go ahead and turn that radio into promiscuous mode and then if there are unprotected uh, wireless networks in the in the air that you can spy on whatever data is is out there you yeah. don't have to be physically there in order to take advantage of poor security so the nice thing is that. As far as I know, you security guys, correct me if I'm wrong, the WPA2 AES standard, as long as you have strong credentials, it has not been penetrated and is good enough to rely on. In other words, 802.11i. So that's, you know, that's, that's pretty much the gold standard has been for quite some time in wireless networks, and it works very well and is universally supported. Now, one of the challenges with that, I think, as we were uh, earlier alluding, is that uh, you know, 802.11i, if you're using EAP, which is, you know, so, so for small for small scale networks, you know, your home network, your uh, your tire store or whatever, WPA2 AES with pre-shared key with a strong key mm-hmm. and changing that key if you ever lose a device or something, that actually is quite secure. However, it's not scalable to environments where you have dozens or hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of devices. And for that, you need WPA2 AES. So one of the challenges I think Jesse was alluding to earlier on when he talked about that that load that gets generated when you have a big, you know, Influx mass of, of students yeah. going through, you know, that's that's what happens when you're doing WPA2 AES uh, with EAP, and uh, and and you you run into the challenge of overwhelming your authentication radio uh, infrastructure, right? You got the backend radius servers, and back of then you might have access uh, AD Active Directory. Active yeah, Directory. Yeah. And so that's that. So one of the things that Jesse and I have lately been working on is how do you manage that tremendous load of authentication requests so that come from actively moving clients. So, so right. let's just spend a second and break that down, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm not sure that all the listeners really understand the implications and what you said, right? So, with wireless security, it is from a client, right, to the wireless access point, but it must interface with an authentication server to authenticate you and to provide um, Key. the, the, the keying, right, the EAP. Um, so how about, how, how about you break that down and explain that at, at a per-segment layer so okay. that people understand that process? Well, so focusing on, on EAP, 
extensible authentication protocol. In general, unless you have what we call a fast secure roaming method, every time a client roams from AP to AP, it has to... Or, or when it connects for the first When it time. first connects or, when, up, or yeah. whenever, when it, or, or when it roams, connects to roams from, yeah. from AP to AP, that client has to authenticate using EAP to some kind of authentication server. Generally speaking, that's a, you know, depending on the protocol, the specific EAP flavor that you're using, that's a fairly resource-intensive operation, and it even consumes a fair bit of, uh, can consume a fair bit of time. Right, and so client comes on, powers on, or roams, right? It's the client's physically connected to the wireless access point for the radio communications, but the the client's prompted for authentication, right, or the encryption piece of it, but that gets transparently passed to an authentication server to help complete that process, and so that's what we're talking about. Yeah, in the Cisco Unified Wireless Network, what happens is, generally speaking, the the initial prompt for authentication, the EPID request, comes from the uh, typically the wireless LAN controller mm-hmm. and gets tunneled through the AP to the client, and then the client goes back to the wireless LAN controller and responds with the EAP response, and then the, the wireless LAN controller then acts as the 802.1x authenticator or radius client and, and has the dialogue with the radius server or radius servers to uh, complete the EAP exchange. The advantage of having the WLC be the 802.1x authenticator rather than the APs is that wireless clients can and do, increasingly do nowadays, move around physically. So they're moving around from AP to AP. So if you have a centralized WLC that's keeping track of things, it makes it easier to manage those clients' uh, authentication attempts uh, without having to go through a full authentication. Um, you know, so, so you know, one of the things to understand is, you know, you're talking about that, that, that uh, college campus where you have these students roaming around between classes with three active Wi-Fi devices per person, that is a flood of authentications that is hitting these APs. And, you know, these kids mm-hmm. are moving along at five or six miles an hour, and that means that all of these devices are re-authenticating perhaps every 10 seconds right. and as we, they hit and, new APs. And we talked about earlier how, you know, the physical layer is messy. Um, when you look at the number of devices and the kinds of devices on a network, those devices don't all behave the same way. Now we there are there are standards out there for how devices should behave, but you know devices will do their own their own things, right? Like a, a an an iPhone will behave differently than an Android device will behave differently than a Windows PC. It, within Windows PCs, you know you'll have a Broadcom chipset or an Intel chipset for your for your wireless uh, card, and those will behave differently. The wireless world is very messy, not only from a physical layer, but from, you know, a device noise perspective. Um, and, you know, when that student comes on campus, we talk about college campuses because these tend to be the most challenging environments. You um, have usually people with a lot of devices, and you have a lot of people all right. at once. And yeah. there, there's no central management, right? You have people coming on, moving around campus with those, you know, three devices, and maybe one of those is configured properly. So you might have the, you know, the student that's walking across campus and two of those devices are not configured properly, but they're still trying to reach out and get wireless, right? When you look at especially, you know, iPhone and Android devices, those are wireless hungry. 
they will search for any SSID, any Wi-Fi connection to try to get internet access. You know, in in the case of of iPhones, right, they'll try every 30 seconds, you know, to 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 get that that connectivity. So if you have a room full of students with iPhones, and every not, 30 seconds there's just a wave of attempts. Right, and they're yeah. in the right. They're not even looking at the device, so they're being prompted for authentication. They're not responding. The iPhone's going, okay, well, that, I'm going to give up give up after 30 seconds. I'm going to try again. So you'll see, you know, every 30 seconds, uh, you know, on the nose that those devices are are you know generating noise right and they're not for you know for no good reason because there's nobody actually trying to use that that device yeah so so the challenge that large customers uh, like a large college campus in particular face faces is in in the face of this huge wave of possibly misconfigured devices how do you keep your authentication infrastructure working if you if you're getting hundreds of authentication attempts simultaneously especially if some of the clients are misconfigured so you have to maintain open threads for for long periods of time blocking others potentially you know how do you protect yourself you know, so you need to look in terms of essentially putting in some kind of uh, you know circuit breaker type protections of various kinds. And, and it's not one thing we found, uh, Jesse and I have in, in working in, in cases like this, there's not one silver bullet. Right. What you need to do is you need to have a bag of tricks, and each one of those makes things 15%, 20% better. So, so what are some of those up. best practices that we might be able to... We well, be able to well so one, one basic one that I always preach is it's very important to make sure you have 802.1x client exclusion working. So as Jesse was saying, in the case where you have, for example, an iPhone that's misconfigured, it's going out there repetitively trying to mm -hmm. authenticate, but it's not actually doing anything. That's adding load for no reason. So what you can do is configure the, uh, the WLC, Wireless LAN Controller, with 802.1x client exclusion set so that if a client, let's say, fails three times in a row in a, in a certain way, we will go ahead and, this is all configurable, uh, let's say hold them off for maybe five minutes. And th what that does is it cuts down on, on the rate at which such devices offer worthless load. Mm -hmm. It also, uh, also in cases of real overload, where you have a gigantic flood of authentication attempts, for example, let's say a, God forbid, a, uh, a, a wireless line controller were to crash, mm -hmm. sending 5,000 clients all at once to a different WLC. What it does is, by putting in client exclusion, it, it, it lets you uh, kind of hold off on the flood and basically rate limit it, so that it doesn't come in so fast that it completely overwhelms your infrastructure. Right, and what these exclusions are doing, they're actually preventing association. So you're not even allowing that device to associate. So you're saving resources on the controller and you're saving resources on your back end, your radio server, and if you are going to Active Directory, your Active Directory, or your LDAP server, whatever you, know, you, may, whatever you may be authenticating to. Yeah, those, right, those, those exclusions are performed at the AP level, so it doesn't add load to so the uh, back. Is this a feature that's turned on by default? Or? No, it's off, it's off by default. Um, you know, in small scale deployments, you probably don't want exclusion on because, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you know, if, if you're, if you're uh, uh, CIO fat fingers his password four times in a row, yeah. you don't want to hold him off for five minutes, you know, so that he calls you and complains. Right, right. Uh, but in very large deployments, it's it's essential in order to get a... a or a even in just select APs that are in specific areas like large rooms or um, stadiums. Where you right? expect there to be a high number of individuals. A high number of individuals yep. where you're not confident that they've got, um, you know, the same type of individual. You know, you could have students there, you could have guests there, you could have... You know, whatever. Well, they are WLAN. They are configured on the WLAN, so you 
if you had WLANs broken out, that way you could you could do that. Um, but if you have a, you know one WLAN across the campus, you can't specify an area, unfortunately. So would it be a, a recommendation to configure? You just mentioned WLANs to have your WLANs be very specific to certain regions or certain buildings or purposes, or is one large one an appropriate thing for a campus? I'll let Aaron take this, but yeah. I would say one you know one large one. Yeah, generally speaking, you want to minimize the number of different WLANs you you support for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, some, some deeply technical, such as beacon overload, where each individual WLAN is advertised has to be separately beaconed. And that mm -hmm. can basically generate a bunch of background uh, broadcast traffic that can congest your channel unnecessarily. Okay. Just from a management standpoint, and, and from an ease of use for the, for the clients, it's a lot easier if you, have a, if, if you have a small number of WLANs. So generally speaking for employees, you know, we like to see just a common, you know, as we do here, for example, at Cisco with one Blizzard SSID, mm -hmm. it makes life a lot e easier. Yeah, so you might have, and, and you might have like a guest SSID, right? You might have one, you know, one employee, one with different one, authentication one credentials, right. and then that way you can segregate your users, right? So you have, you know, you're dumping your WLANs into different VLANs, um, so you can segregate, you know, those your your guests from your your mm -hmm. employees, um, you know, with with you know more traditional security methods, firewalls, you yeah. know, air gaps, things like that. Uh, Another uh, practice that's critical to, to being able to manage the flood of AAA authentications coming through from the wireless network is making sure that you have fast, secure roaming working as well as you can. And this is always kind of a work in progress. Well, first explain what that is. I'm okay. not sure. You so so as, as I said earlier, by default, when you're using EAP authentication, every time, the first time a client associates to the network and every time that client roams, it has to do a full EAP authentication. Now, as clients that are moving around rapidly might have to re-authenticate every five or 10 seconds, you can imagine what a huge aggregate load this will yeah. put on the, on, the infrastructure in, on the authentication infrastructure. So fortunately, there are protocols. Unfortunately, there are probably too many protocols, <laughs> but there are protocols, a class of protocols called fast secure roaming, which enable the wireless infrastructure to cache credentials and to allow EAP authenticated clients to reconnect to the network without having to go through a full EAP sequence. So the, the whole act of roaming, just for those uh, who might not be aware, that's moving from AP to AP, hopping throughout the network? Yeah, and wireless yeah. clients do this all the time. One thing that's important to remember is that roaming, a client can be sitting still and still be roaming between APs. If you're in range of two APs, that client can still roam between Just between depends APs, on whichever correct. one it has connectivity to enough signal strength and hasn't dropped off from yeah and right. be, yeah and just be aware that due to the cussedness of things you know it's by no means unheard of for uh, a client to drop packets for say one second to the ap it's associated to mm -hmm. that can cause that client to say you know what i don't like this ap anymore i'll go to another so with the fast secure roaming schemes when a client roams from ap to ap Typically, what will happen is the AP, the wireless line controller, will figure out that that client is one that has already been authenticated in EAP and allow that client back on, possibly with a new key exchange, without having to bother the radius server. And making sure that you have that working as well as you can is, an, is a very important component of making sure you don't overload your radius infrastructure in a very large environment there's two different scenarios right that can mm -hmm. that can cause overload in, in this particular one we're talking about past authentications right so if you're roaming from AP to AP that's past authentications are just as expensive as failed authentications when you're talking about uh, you know overloading your back end 
whereas the client exclusions were focused on failed authentications, your fast secure roaming is dropping the number of past authentications on your network. Uh, okay, okay. Good distinction. So there's a number of different flavors of fast secure roaming. One of the uh, the old the, the oldest and best is one called CCKM Cisco Centralized Key, Key Management, Manager. right, which is part of the CCX uh, extension set. It works fantastically well. It's the fastest of all fast secure roaming methods. It doesn't require a key exchange, but it has the downside of being Cisco proprietary. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, almost nobody correctly implements it for WPA2 AES except for our 792X phones. So, so that, that's a, uh, back to what you mentioned earlier, yeah. Jesse, that's the vendor differences in just, you know, what kind of NIC you're using, for example. Right. This happens to be a proprietary one, yeah. but I mean, even yeah. in the even in with standards, vendors implement them differently. Right. So, so what we recommend for best practice for fast secure roaming is for seven nine two X phone WLANs. And this, mm -hmm. by the way, this, I would say this is an excep exception, Magnus, to our dictum that you should minimize the number of SSIDs. In the case of of wireless phones, we do recommend having a, a dedicated WLAN mm -hmm. because you basically want to tweak that WLAN as well as you can to make sure that your voice is flawless. Right. So for those, we do recommend CCKM because it works so well. Now for the great mass of other devices, Windows, uh, Macs, iPads, iPods, Android devices, you know, there's a, unfortunately right now there's a, a great variety of standards and different ways that the client devices behave. So we need to try to manage that. What we found, and this is as of October 2014, subject to change next year, what generally speaking works best is for Windows PCs, you can use WPA2 AES opportunistic key caching, opportunistic PMKID key caching, which works extremely well. It's very efficient. The Windows implementation is solid. The wireless LAN controller is supported out of the box. Mm -hmm. So they're pretty well taken care of. Moving on to the Macs, the only game in town for Macs is what we call sticky key caching. And that has to be specifically enabled on a per WLAN basis. And it's by no means as efficient as the earlier methods I've mentioned, but it is the only game in town for those devices. Yeah. Also, it appears to be the only game in town for at least some Android devices. And one of the things that I would caution is when you're talking about Android, there's a whole lot of different vendors. There's different chipset manufacturers for the, the wireless adapters. So you can't really generalize. Yeah. And you can have, you know, you can have, a say, a Samsung-branded phone, and you can have an Android-branded phone with the same chipset, and they'll support different methods. It's very vendor So it makes specific. it real simple to troubleshoot, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. And then with Apple iOS devices, they do support sticky key caching, mm -hmm. so they will benefit from that. The newest ones support a new... IEEE protocol called 802.11r, which per Cisco guidance right now is you should only turn on 802.11r on, on an SSID that is unique to 11r supporting devices. And as far as I know, only Apple iOS devices support 11r. So, so you're limited to largely retail situations yeah. where, yeah. you know, where you know you're going to have, you know, iPads or, or iPhones or, you know, that are only doing you know, credit card transactions, things like that. Right, right. But but then you exclude the Android devices, though. You do, but we there we we do have um, some customers that do have exclusive, you know, exclusively uh, iPhones or or iPads or um, iTouches that uh, are doing pay uh, pay systems. In, right, in particular applications. So the right. challenge is, let's say for for example, for that large university with a a lump and proletariat SSID for all of the students with their random user-owned devices, what's the best practice for 
fast, secure roaming. And this is a work in progress as it we is. examine <laughs> customer deployments and see mm -hmm. what works well and what doesn't. But at present, probably the best guidance for that single SSID is do not use 802.11r yet. Do not use CCKM. By all means, use WPA2 AES P, uh, opportunistic PMKID caching, which you can't even turn off. <laughs> it's on by default. You can't disable it, and it works very well, so it makes your Windows clients happy. And then for the Android, Macs, and Apple iOS devices... Consider turning on sticky key caching, but monitor the size of your PMK cache on the controller to make sure you don't overrun it. We've had experience at a couple different colleges so far. Um, at one of them, uh, sticky key caching worked very well. Uh, we stayed well under the, the cache limits on the, on the controllers. Uh, we've recently implemented it at another college and had to back it out because we hit our max cache sizes on all the controllers. Um, What's the max cache size? The max cache size on the 5500s are 14,000 cache entries. Uh, on the uh, Wisdom 2s, it's 15,000 cache entries. On your 7500 and 8500 controllers, it's 64,000 cache entries. And on your 2500, uh, it's also 14,000 cache entries. Um, now, there's no, we haven't really seen a downfall, so when those cache, when that max cache size was hit, it just reverts it back to seem, not having a cache. Right, it yeah. just reverts back to not having a cache and basically yeah. everything slow roams. But, you know, but it didn't seem to have any negative effect. So you know, it's something that you can try in, in your environment, see if it works for you. Um, we can put in the show notes uh, how to enable sticky key caching um, and how to monitor that uh, to see, make sure you're not hitting your max cache size. But it's something worth, worth trying. Uh, you, know, you can only cache eight APs per client. So if you've got uh, you know, somebody walking from one end of your campus or, or enterprise to the other, you know, it may not, it, it doesn't help because you have to cache the AP first and then once you roam back to it, it's a fast roam. So, you know, there's not a, you may not get a, a whole lot of gain, but everything, you know, every, like Aaron was saying earlier, every little bit helps. Yeah, so probably the best thing to do in, in an environment like this is monitor your authentication load across time. And then if you make a change such as enabling sticky key caching, continue to monitor and mm -hmm. see if your authentication load goes down, stays the same, or or increases. And if it increases right. and, you're, and you've used up your, you've, you, you've uh, overflowed your cache, then you might want to back it off. So unfortunately, we don't have one magic bullet. As always, in the wonderful world of wireless, there are trade-offs involved with every decision you make. So let's change a little bit. We've talked a lot about uh, companies' infrastructure for wireless, um, you know, how to scale it and security of it. You know, a lot of companies, they use, like, like we said, they have laptops, the individuals there, and they're on wireless when they're at the company. But when they go away from the company, they also often use wireless. And that wireless infrastructure is not under the company's control. And more often than not, they're using open SSID wireless networks. So that, that obviously could raise a security red flag, especially if the companies offer access to different parts of their infrastructure or applications, right, without having to VPN in. So but what we always suggest, at least in the security space, is, um, you know, you should always have your in-client users use, say, AnyConnect, right, and tunnel everything across back to your network um, when they're away from the corporation. That way you know everything's secure because just guarantee that the wireless that they're using is unsecure, right? And you don't want to rely strictly on the application security. Instead, it's much better to create that VPN tunnel from that endpoint laptop, right, and tunnel it back. And with AnyConnect these days, you know, with all the nice features that it has with auto reconnect and, 
you know, the the different roaming capabilities that it has. It, it, it's very easy, right? It's easy to deploy in masses. It's easy to load balance in the back end. And it just simplifies your and reduces risk of your security, um, you know, the overall security posture for any company. So, And I'll throw a little something on top of that. Along with the newer versions of AnyConnect, you can also interface with our cloud web security traffic. What you get out of that, David, you mentioned tunneling all the traffic back to headquarters. Well, you can selectively only tunnel the important stuff back to headquarters and allow web traffic out to sites like you know, Google or whatever kind of uh, non-company related websites you want to go secured, even on a non-secure wireless network, over through our uh, cloud web security scanning system. So, right, so it hits the cloud and they, it's they still secured there at that coffee right. shop. Yeah, so. I'll, I'll throw the plug for the AnyConnect VPN client. It works beautifully when I'm on the road in a hotel room or whatever to reconnect, even in the face of a, a lossy Wi-Fi network. I mean, we're not here to pitch Cisco products, but if your employees are connecting to your network and they have a laptop and they go away from your network and they come back to your network, there's no reason that when they leave your network, the only way that they should be able to access your network is through a secure uh, VPN-type tunnel. Right. Now, there is one area that maybe I'll just throw it out there as, as an area that I think hasn't been solved or well-addressed by the wireless networking industry or, or security industry, maybe, is guest networking. Hmm. You know, at present, the state of the art for public Wi-Fi guest networking is you use an open network with no encryption, no layer two encryption over the air, and you do this web hijack thing, this web auth thing, where the customer, the you expect the client to enter some kind of web HTTP get, and then you have, and effectively the wireless infrastructure acts as a man in the mil middle, hijacks that web request, and forces the client through some kind of authentication that may be in the clear, or maybe not in the clear, or something. The captive or, portal. Yeah, or right. a way to just say, I accept the terms and conditions to right. join I think this we're network. starting to see, I think we're starting to see a, a change in that with BYOD onboarding. Most devices, actually all devices now, starting with, with Windows 8, support PEEP out of the box. Um, so you can do, you know, this doesn't work as, it doesn't work as well with guest, um, but we can do, you know, two different types. You can do either do single SSID where you're authenticating with PEEP first, then we're provisioning you an EAP TLS certificate and you're going on to a secure SSID. Um, on the guest side, you know, we could do that via, you know, an open SSID, redirect you to a portal, and then provision you, you know, provision you a certificate and then switch that device over to a, a secure SSID. You basically only live in the open wireless for a very short period of time before you hop to something more secure. That's more used in the case of companies allowing personal devices to, to join their wireless networks, but it, it could be extended mm -hmm. um, for guest use. Um, but it, I agree, it's not it's not fully there yeah. yet. I mean, the challenge is, is you know, in in the in the public space, in the the coffee shop, the the outdoor mall, the the airport. You want to make it super easy for anybody, right? right. And the thing yeah. is, the web auth is not super easy. That's the right. thing that people are finding out now. Is first of all, you know, web auth traditionally hijacked HTTP, the unencrypted, uh, unauthenticated connections, but it didn't hijack the HTTPS. Okay, in our latest release of 8.0 code in CUWN, we will now try attempt to hijack the HTTPS as well, which mm -hmm. basically means we, we're, we're a man in the middle and we somehow expect the clients for some reason to blindly accept our bogus cert. Yeah, and, and from a security standpoint, right, with our security hats, we hate that, right, yep. because yeah. <laughs> it defeats the whole point of having certificate authentication and, and stuff like that. But 
you know, it's kind of necessitated because a lot of browsers today and a lot of major websites, Google, for example, you know, they will redirect you to a secure connection, right? Because they want to make sure that that connection is secure. And if it's secure, there's no way without doing a man in the middle attack to get you to accept some terms and conditions to join a wireless network, which most companies have to have in order to cover their legal butts. Right. And then the challenge is, so because this, the web auth user interface is so heinous, some client devices have attempted to generate these captive portal type things where they try to figure out, am I on a captive portal and maybe I can automate the web exchange so I can get on or whatever, make it look a little bit nicer for the user rather than them having to type raw into the, uh, into the web interface. But the problem is you, you, know, you have the client devices and the infrastructure trying to outsmart and fake out each other using this, this web shenanigans. And frankly, it's, it, it's, it's a horrible user, user experience. It's mutually assured destruction. Yeah, it, yeah. it's a horrible well, user experience. Yeah. It's not based upon any kind of standards or any kind of design. And at the end of the day, it doesn't give you any security because you wind up with a wide open uh, connection in any case. So I really think the industry needs to uh, discard this nonsense and move on to something, that, a more comprehensive approach that delivers security from the get-go. Yeah, you almost need to use something that we get from the client by, by default and set up that, set up that keying without much user interaction. Right, so in the, in the case of mobile devices, devices with SIM cards, a lot of the carriers are looking, especially for example, T-Mobile is probably a leader in this, are looking at allowing for mobile connections over wi public Wi-Fi in general. So they're, they're proposing things like EAP-SIM, where the, si the SIM credentials that are in the phone will automatically authenticate using EAP to each public AP that they roam to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a lot of pieces that need to go into place for this really to work in the general case, but that's a vastly better user experience, right? For the user, for for the user of the smartphone right now, your phone just automatically authenticates in EAP using the SIM credentials. The connection is fully encrypted with AES at all times. The you know there's no manual intervention needed to type in some stupid web password, and, and it would work great. Mm -hmm. And now, this is what this ahead. is what towers do today, right? So when you're on the on the four G on the three G side, yeah. you know this is this is all going on in the back end uh, with the service providers. So, you know, EPSIM is used today on that on that side of the house. So there is you know precedence for it. Yeah. So the the ultimate nirvana would be for your wireless phone to seamlessly roam between licensed cellular four G LTE and Wi Fi as needed or appropriate and ideally hold up, you know, hold calls up across those roams without user intervention. Mm -hmm. Now there are other use cases, for example, with a laptop that doesn't have a SIM, what would you, you know, what, let's, let's look at the, the coffee shop, the airport scenario, what would be better? I, I was just thinking about this preparing for this talk here, and it occurred to me, you know what would, what would be better? Would be if we just had a convention that everybody who offered guest networking were to have a WPA2 AES EAP uh, SSID that was called guest and the credentials were guest guest. That's mm. still better than what we're doing with WebAuth because the thing is when you authenticate with guest guest obviously anybody can get on but once you're on your over-the-air traffic is fully encrypted with AES and over the air it cannot be spied on even from somebody else who has the EAP guest guest credentials because your pairwise key is unique for your session mm -hmm. and the other guys can't spy on it. So it would, it, I think it would be I'm just throwing this out there, <laughs> you know, that it would be nice if we were to adopt such a, a, a convention. It would be a, a 
much more secure and much more satisfying user experience. Now, if you still wanted to have the, uh, the acceptable use policy, click. The, that pointless acceptable use policy, right. the click that people seem to love so much, then we'd have to the, figure the out the lawyers how to do love that. it. Yeah. Just so you know. <laughs> right. Oh. Yeah, yeah, okay, I, I corrected. It was not people who want, who love it so much. Right. No, no people love that. <laughs> you know, then we'd have to figure out how to deal that deal with that after you get on the network. But uh, I, I'd like to see a change like that, just as a user and somebody who has to support or try to support deployments doing this web auth stuff. Well, I mean, that's that, Aaron. That sounds like a great idea. If everybody were to uh, do the same thing, but you know, one can all, always dream. So speaking about dreaming, what about wireless do you just like? What, why do you like wireless? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because I've changed technologies numerous times in my career. And for about the last, what is it now, 11 years or so, 12 years, I've settled on Wi-Fi. And I still enjoy it very much. And one of the reasons why I like it so much is that it's always hard. Mm -hmm. it's, all, it, it's, it's never easy. It's always changing. And another thing I like about it is that it doesn't keep you locked into a machine room. The good thing about Wi-Fi, at least when you get down to the physical layer, is that in order to really deploy it, in order to test it, you need to be out and moving around in the physical world. You know, at least getting out from your cube and walking around the building. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing outdoor wireless, it's a chance to experience the great outdoors. I'll just, I'll just mention a, 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 a wonderful customer support opportunity that I got a, a, a while back was a large, uh, I'll say equipment manufacturer who makes very large trucks, the kind of trucks that haul around huge amounts of material, mm -hmm. the kind of trucks that have 14 foot diameter wheels. Yeah. And they had a test bed, a proving ground, not too far from where my office is, where they were figuring out how can we get these trucks to operate and roll around with their huge amounts of cargo without any drivers in the cab. So they were setting up wireless connectivity and, and have those trucks under program control. And they, had a, they, were, they were set up out in the desert in this beautiful hillside. Actually, it was mining tailings. Yeah. And they had a temporary building of engineers who were up there basically playing remote control Tonka trucks. <laughs> so I was called upon to go out there and put on a hard hat and some steel toe boots and ride around with them to try to figure out how do I make sure the wireless connectivity works so that they can, they can keep these trucks rolling. You know, to me, that was a, a, a really delightful opportunity yeah. to, you know, to, to get out and be, let's say, uncabled, to be liberated from being chained to the, the, punch, the, the patch panels and really go mobile. You know, so, I mean, for anybody out there who's who may be looking at a career and what do you want to do in networking, I'd say you can't beat wireless, because once you go wireless, you can't go back. I well, like thanks. that. Now I feel like I want to go find the nearest sandbox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Aaron, I think that uh, is a great way to uh, wrap up today's episode. Uncabled, unchained, and liberated. The wireless technology space. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, thanks, well uh, as always, uh, we are the Tax Security Podcast. You can reach us online at www.cisco.com slash go slash tax security podcast or via email at securityshow at cisco.com. We're also on Twitter and iTunes and all the kind of good places that you probably found the podcast you're listening to right now. So always write in some feedback, give us ideas for new shows you'd like to hear, and uh, just throw us some questions. We always like solving them. On behalf of the three other wonderful guys sitting here across the table from me, have a wonderful day.